What's up, everybody? Welcome. Welcome to the Artists of Data Science Happy Hour. It's Friday, May 28th. Super excited to have all of you guys here today. Today is brought to you by Data Science Dream Job, the platform where I am principal mentor. If you guys are interested, check out dsdj.co forward slash free dash training to check it out. Hopefully you guys got an opportunity to tune into the podcast had a really interesting episode. Well, all my episodes I feel like are interesting, but this one was really cool. I talked to Dave Gray, author of several best-selling books, including Liminal Thinking. Um, I thought it was an interesting conversation about belief systems and trying on new beliefs. Um, and I really enjoyed talking to him. I feel like the conversation got off to a rough start, but we started to warm up to each other and I ended up being a really good episode after that. Speaking about belief systems, let's talk real quick. What what was one thing that you believed you had to do or had to know as a data scientist when you first started your career? Looking back now, you're like, oh man, that belief was totally incorrect. I'd love to hear what that is. I mean, for me, I think the one belief that I had uh, when I first started out that is now completely wrong is uh, I, I had this belief that I, uh, that I had to have an answer for everything. Um, I believe that my job as a data scientist was to know everything about data science under the sun. And I had to have an answer for everything. Even if the answer was wrong, I just needed to say something and have something come out of my mouth. So I didn't have to look like I didn't know what I was talking about. That has since changed because I've learned the power of simply saying, I don't know. Um, so I'd love to hear what that one belief you had at the beginning of your career that you now look back and say, dude, that was a completely incorrect belief. Uh, let's start off with my friend, Christian. Christian, go for it. Well, that's funny. I was just thinking that, that your your story is probably relatable to a lot of people. The beginning of my career was definitely more like data, uh, not, not data focused. Data was later. First was all business, right? And so you're sitting in a room with people who have been doing it a lot longer than you, making a lot more money than you, and they look at you and ask a question. You don't feel like you should say, I don't know. Uh, but what you find out is that it's worse to make something up. Um, so I, I learned that lesson as well early on. Obviously, with regards to data, it's like when I first started really messing with it, I had this idea that it, there's always an answer there and I just have to look hard enough to find it. Um, but sometimes that's just not the case. There's, there's nothing to extrapolate from certain data sets. And it's just it's either not enough or there's no message there for what you're looking for. Uh, and again, it's just another way of saying sometimes you got to say, I don't know, or the answer is not here. And move on. Yeah, that's, a, that's an interesting point, right? Because we're so used to having data sets kind of handed to us when we're learning. They're contrived data sets that have some bit of predictive power in them. But when we go into the real world, we believe that there should be some type of predictive power in every data set that we have. And sometimes that turns out that that is not the case. Um, I'd love to hear from Makiko on this. Makiko, I don't know if you got kind of the gist of what the question was all about, uh, but we're talking about incorrect beliefs we held at the beginning of our career that upon reflection, we now know are not correct beliefs. And in the meantime, um, if anybody has questions while we're kind of getting warmed up here, go ahead and put your question right there into the chat and I will put you into the queue. And also I do need to give a shout out to Vivian for doing such an amazing job of hosting the uh, happy hour for me last week. I had a opportunity to listen back on that and I'm not going to lie. That was hands down my favorite 
happy hour uh, makes me wonder if I should be here at all anymore. I should let you guys take over uh, more often for me. But yeah, let's uh, let's go to Makiko. And I, I've been a un-American for so long that I forgot that it was Memorial Day weekend. Uh, I was too busy celebrating the Queen last week. Uh, but yeah, let's go to Makiko. Oh, that's right. You're in Canada. Mm, territories. Mm. <laughs> With your very, no. very American background. I love that. I know, right? Um, yeah, you know, I honestly, I'm not traveling. We got double vaccinated, but yeah, we're not do. We're, we're, we're going for the tier one, you know, friends and family, right? And then we'll expand it out to tier two, which is, you know, adjacent friends and family and then tier three, which is coworkers. Although I'm not going to see my coworkers because they're in Atlanta. Uh, so I won't see them for a little while. But yeah, I think the, yeah, I, I think the two probably, the, the two, the two beliefs were like, <clears throat> okay, three, but they're short. Uh, the first one was that uh, credentials matter. That's something that, you know, even nowadays I, I kind of struggle with sort of that imposter syndrome and like machine learning data science, just because so many people are kind of like pushing their degrees and like, you know, education clout. Um, and there used to be a lot of shame about that. And now I actually feel a lot better. I think part of it too, right, is because I think data science and machine learning is a little bit closer to academia. But now that I'm sort of mingling with a lot more like engineers and developers, um, I see that like for them, it's, you know, they're like, if you, if you have like a, like a bachelor's in computer science, but you can code really well, people are kind of good with that. So it's definitely like a total culture mentality shift. Um, but I think in general, if someone's going into data science, machine learning, they should worry a lot less about the credentials and whether or not they could do the work. Um, the second one <clears throat> was that it was all, it's all about like technology um, and less about soft skills. And I'm going to be really honest, like, you know, and, now that I'm on like a, an actual like engineering team in an actual engineering org where there's like a senior machine learning engineer, there's a staff machine learning engineer, there's principal and just, you know, um, I'm seeing that, you know, the reality is that like I talked my way into most jobs. So I'm, I'm just going to be real. Like I couldn't pass Lee code to like save my life or, you know, to pay myself. Um, you know, so soft skills really matter, especially when you're dealing with a lot of the like the architecture side of ML ops. Like even within some companies, they're using sort of different stacks or pipelines, and you really have to speak well with people. You have to understand the complexity, and you have to you know even like navigating all the different Slack channels. You just got to know like who to ask questions, and you got to be comfortable asking questions. So soft skills, I think, matter a lot more at this point. <clears throat> I think the third major one was. Um, I, I well yeah no I think actually it was just those first two is credentials and you know sort of uh, not valuing the soft skills part um, I think those were the two big ones for sure shout out to some friends in the audience what's up to Greg what's up to Albert Bellamy Albert is a uh, service member are you considered veteran I'm not sure Albert but. My friend, thank you for your service. Oh, shit. We got the one and only Benjamin, the Seattle data guy, is in the building today. How freaking awesome is that? Ben, what is up, my friend? Uh, if you'd like to take the floor on this, Ben, we're warming up with a question here. Uh, and the topic of the question is, what's one belief or a couple of beliefs that you held at the beginning of your career that looking back now, reflecting on that was just a just an incorrect belief to, to have? Uh, so, if you'd, if you'd like to take over, Ben, go for it. Huh. Um, I'm trying to think about, like, I mean, I think, like, the biggest focus, and maybe, some, I don't know if it's a belief, but, like, my like my personal biggest thing was, like, setting up, like, a data science was my goal, consulting company, 
Um, only to find out one personally, I, I like data engineering more. I think that was one thing. It's like, you know, I, I think the articles you read might hype you up for like data science, but then like you start doing work and it's like, well, but I like doing the engineering work more than I like doing the analytics work anyways. So I think that was kind of like one personal belief was something that shifted. Um, and then also just the fact that there's just so much data engineering work to be done. So I think, I think those are like the weird things that, that shifted one, just, you know, when it comes to consulting, it's a lot easier to find projects that are data engineering. And two, I like doing that work anyway, so might as well, might as well do it. So short answer, but since I just jumped on now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, that's all good, man. I appreciate having you here, man. Thanks for taking time out of your schedule to come hang out with us today. Joe, what about you? What What's a belief that you, uh, a misbelief that you held? And after Joe, let's go to Greg. And guys, uh, if you have questions, let me know. I'll add you to the queue. I know that Al had a question, so we'll, we'll go to Albert after uh Greg, so we'll go Joe, Greg, and then Albert. I mean, I mean, I've been in the data space for a really long time, <laughs> like I'm going on over 20 years now. So, you know, and I, and I think the things it, I always have to remind myself that um, what's, uh, you know, old is new again. There's really nothing that novel, actually, I'm, I'm realizing. Um, actually, I was just chatting with a, a friend of mine about this, um, you know, because we're going over some, some brand new architecture that he's, he's coming up with. He's um, is actually one of the guys who wrote Hive at Facebook back in the day. He's going up with a brand new architecture that we're kind of driving on. And it's, it's interesting because he's going back to the classics too. Like, you know, classical architectures and articles from like the 90s and crazy stuff. And, and I, I've been doing a lot of the same thing um, recently, like, you know, researching um, old stuff and reviewing old books I have. And what I realized is like, there's not a lot of new stuff out there. It's maybe repackaged. So data science, machine learning, that, that's a repackaged thing that's kind of actually been around for a really long time. And so I, I think that for me, it, it was just a realization that I, I need to spend more time understanding the history and context of things rather than trying to chase after the latest shiny object. Um, you know, something that over you know my career, I've just had to constantly remind myself of that there's probably some precedent that's come before. And like what you're trying to do isn't actually that new at all. Um, sometimes it is, but for the most part, um, the wheel's already been invented to go find that wheel. So, um, yeah. otherwise you have a cold start problem every single time. So yeah, it's an interesting point. I like that point about kind of returning to, to the old sort of returning to the classics. I've been reading this book this week. Uh, it's like a book from almost, that is, a, that is such a good book. Yeah. How to solve it, uh, by, uh, George Paulia. I don't, mm -hmm. I don't know if I'm saying his last name right, but oh my God, this book is helping me think about how to solve problems in a, uh, in a very refreshing way. Uh, if you guys are part of the newsletter, I sent you a PDF copy or a link to a PDF copy of this book. So definitely uh, open your email. Uh, if you, Especially if you're learning, uh, if, you're, if you're doing anything with math, mm -hmm. that book is uh, fantastic. Yeah, there's a lot of geometry in that book, uh, which came in handy because I was recently reading Shape by Jordan Ellenberg, which is all about geometry. I actually interviewed him for my podcast yesterday uh, and it was just... Just yeah, lots of geometry and this book has a lot of geometry and yeah, it's, it's, it's good. It's a good book. Uh, Greg, what about you, man? Let's say, what, what, you, know, you know, the topic already. So, so go for it. Yeah. So for me is uh, more related to my, my degree. I'm, I'm an industrial engineer and uh, the way I looked at it, I guess it's because of the program. I had to learn a lot of the cross engineering functions, like whether it's mechanical, chemical, material, I had to know a little bit of everything. And there were some core uh, classes that I took, which focused around operations research. So when it comes to uh, optimizing routes or optimizing um, how much you want to order from, from a supplier um, uh, and things like that. And there was, there was a good dose of statistics in there. 
once I entered the the workforce, I kind of shielded myself from this repackaged, uh, uh, you know, thing that you know Joe uh, described earlier, which I, I fully agree with him. Is that you know, industrial engineers have nothing to do with the whole data science thing. And I spent the first, I don't know, seven years just shielding myself, I, at least almost 10 years, really not realizing that, look, I've been so deep into it during my, my school and I've never really cared, you know, from a statistical process control perspective, that, that's, that's all you're doing. You're controlling your uh, uh, line, uh, production line. And uh, to uh, operations research, you know, if you look at, uh, neural networks trying to optimize, you know, their 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 output uh, through gradient descent, um, uh, back propagation, and things like that. So uh, it, it's all doing some sort of optimization uh, uh, of the algorithm, and and those are the things that if I, you know, I feel like if I focused on it a little bit more, I'd be uh, more of a, you know, uh, confident to 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 call myself a data scientist. Today, I market myself as someone who's more on the business side, but also understands data science. And I feel like every time I want to deep dive into the data science piece that I'll be uh, wasting time because I also love the business side because that's, that's what drives really companies. You know, the bottom line is, is money. And um, I want to be able to, 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 to build the bridge between both. So um, still today, it's a struggle for me, but uh, I enjoy being in, in the middle but ultimately, I want to stay on the business side. Thanks so much for sharing that, Greg. Let's go to Albert. Albert, Al, my friend, why don't you answer our question and then ask the question that you had. Then after Al, we'll go to Makiko's question. And if anybody else has a question, uh, let me know. I'll add you to the queue. Hey, can you guys hear me okay? Yeah. All right. Awesome. Yeah. So, I mean, I would say mine, since I'm new to data science and analytics anyway because uh mine is more for leadership and um i think that the thing when i was a new marine and just getting put into junior leadership positions it was that um that everybody needs to be led or can be led the same way that um you know that'll, if, if you're a hammer every problem looks like a nail well you know marines are expected to be hammers and so you, you get the feeling that you can kind of shout everyone into into submission and that's how everybody responds it's you know nothing could be further from the truth so it took me a long time to kind of realize that hey you a, a good leader needs to figure out what his or her teammates team members subordinates whatever you want to call them how they need to be led and and how to best leverage them and their skills and strengths um and just as i went on then there was more and more kind of tools in my toolbox that hey you can yeah you can you can yell at them and you can cuss at them and you can you know knife in and foot stomp and all that good marine stuff and or you can be diplomatic and kind of reason with them or you can you know kind of beg and plead but that there's a hundred different ways to lead somebody and get them on board with your project um and a, a good leader to me has more than one so hope that's fits the bill for the uh the question here yeah absolutely man thanks for sharing that um, yep. and you've also, you got a question as well so so go for it i do so um just for context um so we today on analytics job we did our first uh live stream and that was very exciting and um you know so we just wrapped up season two where we had I don't remember what it was. It was like 20, 20 or 22 guests or something like that. Um, and, and some of them were repeats from the previous year. And so, you know, it's just kind of looking for the way forward and what, you know, what are we doing next? We have some, some things going, but uh, I, I look around at a lot of different podcasts and 
YouTube channels, and uh, it seems like the the interview format is is pretty saturated. And I'm wondering, um, you know, what do the people here think that are that are involved in some way in that business, either either as podcasters, as YouTube channelers, um, or as consumers of you know of that kind of. Uh, content. What do you think are the underserved uh, people, the people that don't get called up for interviews, and and what are the underserved topics? So I saw that Pete Strassney did. Uh, I don't know if it was today, but she was doing a, a webinar on data security, uh, and it didn't seem like it was getting traction. Um, and so that kind of got me to thinking, like, what what are the topics? What are the people that we're not getting to in our in our interview cycles, in our discussions, and that sort of thing? Does that make sense? Yeah, it makes sense. Uh- for yeah. sure, Harpreet Sahota is definitely an underserved topic in, in data science podcasts because uh, nobody ever invites him on, on, on their podcast. Uh, but also, I would say, a so in terms of like format and type of episode, like it'd be cool to see storytelling type of episodes. Um, I was thinking about doing this for my podcast, right? Because uh, when I have data scientists on, I tend to ask a lot of similar questions because I want to get a whole breadth of and range of, of responses on a particular topic. And I was thinking about doing something where I tell a story and weave in, you know, some responses from different people and then, you know, mix in some like nice music and sound effects in the background. So that, that's one thing I, I think would be interesting to see storytelling type of episodes. Uh, but in terms of topics, um, d- I mean, I, I would love to hear more about like methodologies, like how are people solving problems? I think that, and, and maybe just because I've been thinking about that, maybe because I got this how to solve it book on my mind, I'd be really interested in in hearing about what people do when they come across problems that are really hairy, really messy, and how they think their way through some of those problems. Um, but I'd love to hear some more from the audience. Spencer Holly, my friend, Welcome to the Art of Data Science. Let's hear from you, man. What's what's uh, some topic that you would love to hear more about that that doesn't get the coverage or clout that you think it deserves? Um, I've I've seen one of these um, before a couple of weeks ago, um, and from that I followed Vin on LinkedIn, and I saw he had a post where he's talking about um, just the way his he's talking about knowing the business and understanding that and, you know, really, really focusing more on the business side than I feel like most people really talk about Um, and saying, kind of saying how that's like a lot of, like anyone knows the tools and can learn the machine learning models, but you know, you've got to apply that in a way that'll actually generate the right kind of results. So um, maybe like if anyone knows kind of a good way to start that, start learning that side of things, because like I was thinking about it, it seems like, like almost the most logical way in a way and not saying it is, but what to me might make sense is um, like kind of almost, you almost have to come in on the business end. I'm not sure that that's true, but that's kind of what it looks like to me. And um, I don't know if anyone thinks like has any advice for people coming in from a more technical side or yeah. more technical background. I find that really interesting, right? Maybe like if, if somebody could have like a, a, a series or maybe just like an episode, maybe I should do this with a podcast and have an episode called like maybe the forest for the trees. And it's like an hour long episode where I talk to people about how they've used random forest in their different industries and like kind of put that together and, and, and talk about how we, you know, here's this algorithm that we all uh-huh. know and, and love but here's how we implemented it in, in our business use case. Um, let's hear, I'm going to call from people in the audience who have their camera off. So Martin Garza, 
let's uh, let's hear from you, Martin. If you're talking, you're muted. Or if you're put on the spot, if you don't want to. Uh... <laughs> no, I'm sorry, Harper. <laughs> I can't hear my yeah my little kid and my half and half day. Hi, hi, little kid in the back. Zoom conference. Say hi, Leo. Hi. Hi. Oh my gosh, she's so cute. She just sounds hey. so cute. Yeah. Indeed. Thank you. Yeah. Okay. About how to, to approach the problem, right? You're, you're talking about. Well, uh, the the question Albert's curious about is, you know, what's what's some topic or or area that you feel like doesn't get yeah. enough exposure in data science <laughs> podcasts or data science content that you would see that you'd like to see more content around? Oh, okay. Mm. Well, as I'm really new from in this area of data, data science or data analysis, I have heard that you talk very focused on advanced topics and I'm somewhere trying to, to catch up, right? Uh, I'm having a little bit of troubles. I mean, I was talking with Jennifer Nardin, I think three or four weeks ago for trying to search for, a, for an internship, right? But I mean, I'm a Mexican guy in the in the border with, with Texas and I'm me having had a little bit of trouble to getting a, a job right as a data analyst. But maybe how to to enter, how to start with this kind of data analysis. Mm-hmm. I mean I have experience in the industry on manufacturing side as an operation manager and the analysis is a lot over there. But being on this of data analysis is really, really a deep thing. To, mm-hmm. to start knowing right. Yeah, I like that too. It's a, a bit of a, a common theme there uh, so far that I'm pick, picking up on. But uh, Benjamin, how about you, man? I'm, you're, you're a bit of a content creator yourself in, in if I'm not mistaken, uh, the Seattle data guy. What what do you think? I mean, besides data engineering, what do, what do you think is an underserved, <laughs> underserved topic in our field? Uh, man, podcast and content. Say, I think it's like data engineering is obviously one, like I barely like feel like I just started with data engineering and I'm already getting a lot of like people responding in such a way where they're like, wow, this is great. You know, there's not a lot of DE content, um, but there's just not a big DE audience. I think we're still working on that part. Um, I mean, I, I think I like that whole like uh, forest and tree concept because when it comes down to it, I think as much as like, I feel like there's a ton of ML ops tools that are coming out and, you know, people, uh, you know, that's been over the last like year or two, uh, def- definitely been gaining traction. I-, I still talk to a lot of data scientists and there's just this like gap of operationalizing ML that oddly still exists. I was literally talking to someone yesterday and they're like, oh yeah, we're talking to, like data robot and whatever, all these other things. And we're going to like figure out how to like launch our ML model. I'm like, well, how are you going to do it? I'm just curious. Like, okay, do you actually know how data robot works? You know how it's your plan? Like, no, but data robot says they'll, they'll deal with it for us. I was like, okay, cool. But you should probably figure out how to still like, yeah, just plug in data robot and then it'll work. That's, that's not. So I, I think there's an odd gap still there where, you know, there are obviously communities like MLOps community that that's doing a lot in, in that space. But for some reason, like you said, like there's still this weird gap where it's like, okay, I built this model. Now what, you know, and, and I've worked at companies when you look at big tech, a lot of them have systems, right? They, they have their MLOps systems and they've had it for the last, five years and this, this is you know for them it's, it's easy but yeah I, i'm always curious to see like what do companies do if they don't have ten thousand engineers who can manage these kind of data ml pipelines um so i i'm curious like what smaller companies are doing like how, how are they trying to manage this um how are they implementing it how is it actually working uh and and how are they dealing with all the challenges that comes with, with you know getting ml people um up to speed uh, and actually speaking that out, I think that's another whole area, which is like onboarding. It's this weird section as well. Like I remember 
when I first started kind of trying to do data science work, I was working with like a data science team at a, at a hospital and it just kind of felt like they let me like flop around for like a few months uh, and didn't really provide me much like basis in terms of like, oh, this is how we, you know, proceed on projects. This is how we take a project from like an idea or a theory into some sort of final product. And, and, and even having that like ability of like best practices uh, just better set up for us, I think, is an area that would be great for a lot of people. Because, yeah, once you start, it's it's really like, okay, but what do I do, right? Like, you have all these tools, but you have no idea how they actually all work. Um, so I think that would be interesting for me. Yeah, I think just kind of- to add to that, too, I mean, Makiko had answered, asked a question earlier about what are some good tools or good resources to learn like ML apps and MLE, ML engineering. And frankly, it seems very underserved right now. Kind of, it's almost worse than data engineering in in some ways. Although I would say there's maybe more content in machine learning engineering right now. I would say there's there's more noise as well. Um, so your signal to noise ratios um, a bit out of whack. Uh, um, as far as data engineering content goes, I think Ben, myself, and Andreas might be some of the only people who are actually doing anything in this area. Um, I'm sure there's others. Uh, but yeah, it's, I, I would say that, you know, the MLOps community is awesome. Uh, shout out to Demetrios for putting that together. Like, I would say just come through that and just see what you can find. But unfortunately, there is a ton of noise right now. Lazo, the person you, whose article you posted, he's legit. Um, so obviously, you know, Josh Tobin's uh, course He's legit, but I mean, you talk to anybody in, in the field right now and it's, um, there's no, there's not really a consensus in terms of how any of the best, best practices like kind of shape up. Therefore, it's kind of impossible to have a rubric in terms of how to properly do ML engineering just because it's a field that's in flux right now. Mm-hmm. And so it's a very underserved content area. Yeah. And it's funny that Benjamin, Benjamin mentions like onboarding because I'm going through onboarding for the MLE team right now, right? And... <laughs> And like I have my onboarding cohort, right? So my team was nice enough to put together like this onboarding document that the 30, 60, 90 day plan, you know, here are the people that you meet, here are the tools and processes, here are all the stuff. But the rest of the engineers in my cohort didn't get anything like it. They haven't even met their team, even though like I've been like in close contact with my, with like the, the staff engineer on my team, right? He's been, he's been guiding and like doing an unofficial onboarding cycle for the last three weeks in this week, right? So, but that onboarding stuff, like that's like so hard. And I, and I see the other engineers, like in my group who are also working, not necessarily like on the same team, but they, some of them are DE, some of them are like, you know, uh, backend, some of them are front end dev. And they're really kind of struggling because we're all working on like an ML product and and they're like, okay, so right. So already you're struggling with the complexity of onboarding as an engineer, but then you have to also know like all the different systems and pipelines. And they're also going through this process of where they're like updating it to. So like for sure, like onboarding is like so important. This is interesting commentary. It reminds me of like when uh, like onboarding of data scientists back, I would say in the um, kind of early slash mid 2010s, very similar because uh, there, there wasn't really any set of um, guidelines for how to onboard. And so people just kind of make it up as they go along. And unfortunately, that's just the reality. But that same thing was with data scientists. I don't know if it's gotten any better, frankly. Um, but uh, engineers are supposed to be the ones that produce the, uh, the discipline and the rigor behind everything to make the data scientists succeed. So this will be, um, yeah, keep us posted how this goes. Yeah, so if I could distill down the last <laughs> few topics for Albert, I, the, the, the kind of threads I picked up on there would be maybe a topic about how small or startup teams are functioning at smaller companies where maybe they're data science practices and mature. It's also some talk there about uh, ML ops. And I believe from Akiko, the, the vibe I got was how to onboard new teammates. Let's hear from Greg. And then after Greg, let's hear from Russell. What are some 
data science or just let's just call it data, just data topics that you would like to see covered in podcasts or different contents. And then after that, we'll get to Mikiko's question and Christian's question after we hear from Greg and Russell. Yeah, something I've been uh, getting curious about lately is uh, we always talk about we have to clean data, clean data. Um, Can we hear more about data collection? Right. So is it ever possible to collect data clean at first try? Right. So what are the tools? What are the best practices? Um, The other day I saw um, Ven issued a a podcast, uh, not podcast, a video on YouTube about uh, 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 something called Data Curator. I must admit, I haven't watched the the video yet, but I have a feeling it's speaking to that that person will be responsible for onboarding clean data that you don't have to spend much effort transforming as you feed it to, to models and things like that. So uh, I don't think I hear that enough. Like we, we talk about cleaning, but what if we, we understand we can do much about legacy collection methods, but what about fresh new collection methods that will guarantee maybe if we think big about this, um, that the collection will be of high quality, that we don't have to spend much time transforming for the perfect model output. Yeah, I like so, that. I was actually, um, so part of data science dream job, I create uh, my entire team, we create these, uh, these technical workshops like you know every month or so and one of the technical workshops i got planned for this summer is actually on that topic is data collection like okay great everybody says you have to do a data science project to show your skills but how do you get data how do you collect data uh so yeah that's that's very much in line with uh, something i was thinking about let's go to um uh, Russell. And then after Russell, we will go to Makiko's question, then Christian's question. And if you guys have questions, let me know in the chat. I'll add you to the queue. Evening all. I was uh, just adding a, a comment probably um, a few minutes back now, just talking about uh, domain expertise being really critical for um, a fully holistic data analysis. So learning data science, data engineering, ML, uh, and, you know, being a rock star in that field is great. But if you don't understand the actual context of the data that you're using, it, it's going to be more difficult to get the the output, the insights from that data to resonate with the audience. Uh, and you may struggle to understand the, um, say, the limits of that data. So if you've got some outliers that you immediately cut off because they seem completely unnatural in the context of the, the data on the page, you've got but if you understood the field you you would know that that could that could manifest naturally so you don't want to exclude it all of that's really important um and then tying in with the kind of the business intelligence side of things you know uh, actually the cosmetic and the aesthetic of arranging something on a page as well that varies distinctly from industry to industry uh so having the domain expertise to help transition right the way through from that data side uh, to the uh, to the report output is very good. And um, what Greg was mentioning there about the data curator, data translator, that, that's pretty much where I sit. You know, I'm not a, I'm not a distinct uh, data science, uh, data scientist, you know, I use, uh, I'm probably more data engineering than anything else, but I've been working with data for some 20 years or so before I even heard the, the terms data science. Um, so, yeah, I, I put myself in that page and very often I will bring data in and do some pre-processing on it before it goes to someone for, for deep analysis. Um, very often that's that's still myself, but but also the other teams, um, but also will validate the output as well to make sure that nothing has happened in the data processing that's created anomalies or, or anything else. So that, that data curator role, I think, is is much wider role than just the processing of the data before it goes through for 
analysis. Thank you very much, Russell. Yeah, uh, I saw a video by Vin as well. That's a really good one. All of Vin's videos are freaking awesome. Uh, wish he was here today. Um, shout out to some friends in the audience. I see you guys, Marina, Tor. Good to see you guys here. Happy to have you guys here, Robert. What's going on? Uh, so let's go to Makiko's question. Actually, I had uh, two additional ideas on the like what are underserved topics. Um, yeah. So, so the first one actually is um, communication. Um, and not via data visualization. Um, literally talking to people, especially on failed projects. Uh, I mean, talk about like underserved, right? A lot of times I feel like when you look at, sort, when you look at kind of videos or content on how to communicate with, with your business partners, a lot of times like the example that's used is a very clean, like successful example. But, you know, the reality is that career advancement and, and not necessarily career growth, but like or, uh, personal career development, right? But career advancement through a company a lot of times is on how do you handle the hard conversations? Like, how do you tell them like, okay, the forecast was off by like 10, 15%, which results in like a $1 million loss, right? Now, a lot of people won't necessarily like in their junior years, like go for that, like they won't have to be in that situation because hopefully their managers are not giving them $1 million projects, but giving them, you know, maybe $100,000 projects or whatever. But I think that one is really hard. And for a lot, and you know, I think the common sort of, stereotype right is that a lot of like people especially who are engineers or data scientists or researchers ac academics they don't know how to talk they don't know how to communicate and there's almost no material on that, right so there's that um that i think that's another topic um i think the second one and sano actually has already said this but i think i want to add sort of further support for it is um how do like small medium-sized businesses like effectively use like data science and machine learning um, or even just statistics or math, like in their processes. So I posted a link. This was required reading for my staff engineer to me, right? Because we use GCP at MailChimp, but there's a question of how much GCP do we use and where is it appropriate uh, versus using like an open source or a homegrown thing. And the reality is that like a lot of this thought process on um, how companies should implement ML ops and ML engineering, it's driven by bigger companies who have, like buildings of data centers. A lot of times their use cases are much more sophisticated and, you know, they're a lot more abstract. But reality is that like, if you're a small, medium-sized business owner, um, you probably don't need everything. You could probably just get some added value, like just from simple tools. Uh, so I think that's like a really good area as well. It's not just like, how do people do starter projects or how do people use like enterprise level tooling, but how do people just kind of determine like what's the right need and like how to implement it, implement it for them while still kind of going by like best practices for the most part. I think those are two topics. Um, yeah. Well, Gilbert's like got that add, book. Yeah. Say, Gilbert's got that book, People, Skills, for Analytical Thinkers. You guys should check that out. But sorry, go on, Makiko. Didn't mean to cut you off there. No, 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 totally. No. Yeah. Like, I mean, like I, I, I saw that book. Um, I think one of the most successful sort of, or I guess one of the resources I, I liked using when I was first getting into data science uh, was this resource called like LOMS, which is look over my shoulder from this guy who, Victor Chang, who is like a BCG McKinsey consultant. And that's what he kind of does is he puts people like into sort of hotbox scenarios and then literally goes like, here are the different levels of communication. This is what poor communication looks like, successful communication and like awesome, we'll get you a promotion communication looks like and how to break it down, which I thought was like a really kind of successful way to go about it. And it, it was helpful for me. Um, but yeah, in terms of my question, it was, um, I mean, there's a lot of resources like in MLOps, ML engineering. And I think I'm just trying to figure out like better filters. Like how do I, how do I filter to the content that is actually important versus is like being, is like company marketing or like white papers or stuff. Like Joe, do you get what I'm saying? 
No, I totally get what you're saying. Um, okay. And there's a couple of threads to this. One, your Google comment was interesting. I was actually uh, climbing the other day with um, this developer evangelist from GCP. And he brought up an interesting point because he goes into companies, uh, works with the, the, uh, developers at these companies to teach them how to use GCP. And the first thing he said is, look, we do a lot of things at Google our way. We certainly don't do it. We don't recommend you do it our way. But then you read GCP's marketing materials and their case studies, and it's like, <laughs> you can be just like Google. So I don't, you know, there's a big disconnect, I think, between what marketing teams are saying and um, what's going on on the ground. Uh, you know, I see this a lot, just consulting, um, you know, companies will adopt practices because it's like the Google or Facebook way of doing stuff or whoever. Right. And it doesn't apply. Um, and so it, it, I don't know how you would, I, I know exactly what you're, what you're saying. I struggle with the same thing. I, I read a ton and, um, unfortunately half the things I read are more are really lame, uh, marketing pieces that probably, you know, they're not that practical and probably shouldn't have been written in the first place. So I think, um, yeah, that's like, yeah. I think, I think one of the struggles in like both the MLE, ML ops and, and data engineering space is that so much of the content education is being sort of driven by like sales, right? Mm -hmm. it's, it's, it's selling, it's either selling paid, like paid premium tools or it's pushing open source tools, which is totally fine, right? Like, you know, big support for open source, but it's, yeah. Like for example, when Google dropped Vertex, right? Like lots of people were like, oh, it's gonna it's gonna replace all the MLE teams. And then I asked my staff, yeah. like my staff engineer and he's like, yeah, you know, and then he's like, yeah, no, it's not gonna replace us because we're a practice, we're not, we're not a tool. And then Sri was posting all the LinkedIn posts where he's like, yeah, this is just the AI platform that's repackaged. And then they have some exactly. features that they haven't even released yet. So it's like, I think I'm trying to figure out the practice and how to continue growing in that practice in a way that is not sort of tool, de tool dependent. The way I did this back in the when the you know when the big data days were starting out, and I think data science was kind of kicking off, and the, what I still do is I just read a ton, and I think by just absorbing an inordinate amount of material is the only way you're going to figure out like what is bullshit and what's not because you have to develop that filter, and I think after a bit you start understanding okay like this article is probably going to suck. Don't even read it. This article's good. Probably read it. And then you start getting, a, a, I think, more importantly, a, a sense for who's writing and who are who are the people worth paying attention to. Um, you know, but again, there's so much noise right now in the ML ops space. Like I, I talk with Demetrius about this, you know, and he runs the community and it's like, there's not, it's, it's so noisy. <laughs> it's just really hard to make sense of all this stuff. Okay, can, can I give you guys like, can I, can I share a, a little framework with you guys that I've been learning yeah. lately for, uh, to push you to the next level? I think, I think a lot of, uh, most hires, they hire you to kind of, uh, not only perform the task at hand, but also if you want to move higher than where you are, you have to make people dream. You have to make people think about the next three, five years. So somebody like you, Mikiko, you, you come across a bunch of these technologies, bunch of these options. You have to learn to put them inside of a framework where you're offering these options that would transform your department, transform your company. And then these options come with risk. If you are able to translate those risks for a leader, a leader to understand what's at stake when they select option A versus B, then you become that person who thinks for the transformation, future transformation of the company that puts you way ahead. You don't have to be right. People know you're not there to be right about the future, but you're here to assess and mitigate the risk of selecting GCP method versus another one. So maybe if you go with that framework, you'll be much more comfortable. Of course, you got to do some due diligence when you explore those different options so you can have a better idea of what would be the best path to success by selecting the best option based on XYZ parameters that you would set uh, 
I think those are the things that would transform you and put you on the map for, you know, you being on the leadership team very fast. So I've, uh, I'm, I'm learning this right now and it's, um, I wish day one when I, when I joined, I, I knew it. So, and this is what I'm applying daily right now going forward. And I've, I've learned to eliminate noise by focusing on that only. Yeah. Thanks, Greg. If I could pay some bills real quick, you know, who does have some awesome content around ML ops is Comet ML. Not only that, they have an awesome platform. So definitely check out their stuff. Comet ML, uh, is, is cool and definitely a leader in the ML ops space. Uh, Benjamin, let's, let's hear from you on this topic. I guess we can like kind of blend together the question that Makiko had with the question that uh, Marina is asking in the chat, just recommended readings in ML ops and ML dev. Was that also kind of along the same lines as your topic, Makiko? Makiko was asking, um, how do I cut to the noise and find good resources on that particular topic? Um, I think I think that's that's kind of I, I was more like I was actually thinking more about commenting uh actually when Joe mentioned like the, the, the comment of uh like noise and dealing with that. I think I think we're dealing with this interesting thing where I like to say it's similar to the whole photography uh phrase that we said like when like iPhones and things like that came out, people kinda asked the question like, Well, why would we pay for, for for photographers, right? Like, you know, we can now take high quality pictures and then suddenly we all realized we were very terrible at, at taking pictures, even when we have like the best camera we possibly could right like you know having a great photographer makes a lot of sense so i think it's similar with like content i think we're realizing that like really good content is like worth paying for um there's not a lot of people that can do it well um i think i think generally like it when it comes to like ml ops type things like the stuff i usually like reading is anything that like any of the bigger companies like put out like i know that the, and i mean like the engineering team so like netflix i'm, I'm usually like following them or uber or just because I'm curious, like, you know, they're the ones who are having to deal with a lot of these bigger problems. So I'm like, okay, well, how are they dealing with a lot of these problems? Where are they implementing things? Um, I, you know, I saw that Joe re referenced uh, Google's article. So that's why I generally like seeing what they're actually doing rather than, I think, um, focusing really on like one person. It's like, so usually these these are teams that are having to deal with these problems, not like one person. Um, so yeah, generally any of those companies, I think that's where I like looking into in terms of like looking at their pipeline, looking at their architecture and then trying to figure out what works and what doesn't. Right on. Thank you, man. If anybody else got any comments on this topic, let me know within the next second or two. Uh, but if not, then we are going to go to, uh, Christian's question here. And if anybody else has questions, go ahead and you know let me know right there in the chat. I'll add you to the queue. Uh, Christian doesn't look like anybody else wants to talk about ML ops at this moment. Um, uh, but go ahead and, and go for it. Then after Christian, we'll go to Greg. Yeah, just uh, maybe a more basic question, but it's got me thinking, you know, uh, recently was doing interviewing, obviously I switched jobs a few months ago and I was interviewing for roles that I didn't have any experience with, like so product manager roles and things like that. Um, but uh, from a title perspective, right, I had experience in kind of the intrapreneur sense of spinning products within a company. So you can tell that story. And that's the story I told. Uh, and it's actually pretty compelling when you put a story to the pain points of a business that you can understand and you know their competitive market and all that kind of stuff. And it's great. You can say, hey, to Greg's point, let me paint you a vision of what it's going to look like for me to be here for the next year or two. Here's the immediate things that I'm going to do that you're probably not doing right now that will really help. And that seems to be something that I think is a recipe for a lot of people to be able to like get in the door when you maybe don't have the credentials or, or whatever it might be, or you don't have title on your resume. Uh, but I'm wondering to what extent does that also carry over to like the data science role, which is also very multifaceted and also needs to think about the outcomes, but maybe at least from an outsider's perspective has a lot more to do with uh, technical chops as well. So like, does it vary or is that a really good strategy for interviews as well? 
in the data world is my general question. Yeah, great question. Uh, let's turn this one over to uh, let's let's go to let's go to Greg for for this question, but we won't go to your actual question after this, Greg. Let's see if you got a, a good response here for for a question, uh, Christian. Oh, oh. Important me, but uh, I'm going to have to ask you to 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 write uh, ask the question again so I can make sure I, I grasp it. So gen- generally, I'm going to be more concise. Generally, I've had good experience at other uh, with interviews in other fields of painting a picture of how I would make an impact at a role that I might not have done before, mm-hmm. and that gets me in the door, um, even if I don't have the technical capabilities. Let's say on paper. Have you seen that work in the data science world? Do you think that works in the data science world? Is it does it vary? Uh, and kind of what are your comments and thoughts around that? Yeah. Um, uh, I, I don't see any variations. Uh, and, I, and I say this because just about every single business use case that I bring to the data science team, one thing for sure before we even start, whether it's a software that we're going to build that is powered by you know, ML, uh, we have to have what we call entitlement. And that entitlement is what really drives uh, uh, agreement alignment on uh, working on that project. So uh, that entitlement is something that is directly correlated or directly connected to uh, how much money the business is going to make. Is it going to uh, make us more money? Is it going to save us uh, more? Uh, those are the things that uh, you want to make sure you, you connect with. At the end of the day, uh, a project is a project, right? So uh, there's no difference. The only difference with data projects is that you have to have uh, the best practices on, on how to manage that data, uh, because that's the one thing that you're uh, relying on uh, for your software or your product to, uh, uh, you know, uh, I guess, um, act as expected uh, to, to deliver some results. So uh, for, you have to find a way to definitely build the bridge between uh, your technical aptitudes to manipulate that data with uh, uh, an increase in the business sale or a decrease in cost or, uh, uh, you know, something like that. So you have to find that, that, that way. Uh, and it's no different than any other projects. So if you can market yourself this way, uh, uh, you'll, be, you'll be good to go. Of course, there are some other uh, technical uh, um, improvement projects that you could do. Uh, I, I know a few like um, uh, hopping off of a, an old architecture uh, to a new one that would um, reduce uh, total cost of ownership of, of that architecture. Those are the things that you can, you can uh, uh, think about. And uh, at the end of the day, um, it's about, you know, uh, really thinking about the future transformation of, uh, of the business. If that new architecture is going to help you uh, serve more business needs uh, and, and, and also be cheaper for you to manage uh, with less over, uh, head, overhead or headcount uh, um, or less uh, uh, data bill, that I call it, uh, then this is something that's a clear uh, win to anybody who understands the uh, nature of the business that they're driving. Go to uh, Makiko next. And so the question just, uh, I just saw the, the written version here to reiterate it. Reiterated in other roles I've interviewed for, product or business, telling a customized, compelling story upfront has yielded good results. Uh, here's my intro. Here's where I see me plugging into your team, how I can help, what I know about you and your competitors. Does this approach work with data science hiring managers as well? Or is there a tighter focus on technical aptitude? Um, we'll go to Makiko for this one because you're you're talking about this uh, just at the beginning of the, the hour here. So I think you'd be well-suited in this situation. Yeah. Okay. So for data science hiring managers, it, it will, okay. It'll depend on what the primary output is of the 
team. Um, so if the team is more research focused, oh wait, so, so first off, there is never a reason why you shouldn't do a customized compelling story and, and why you shouldn't sort of position yourself. There is never a reason why you shouldn't do that, right? Um, the dip, okay, the difference is what certain higher managers will care about. And what the difference is, is whether it's a research versus like an engineering role versus uh, something that's a little bit more strategy oriented. Um, even when I was interviewing for the MLE roles, there was a difference between companies like Quora, where they wanted a lot more emphasis on research and specifically um, certain, you know, like certain things like what papers did you publish or what, what algorithms did you implement recently from papers? Um, what do you think about XYZ implementation uh, versus the ones who are a little bit more development focused or engineering focused, which was, you know, what projects did you did? What, what, pro what projects did you work on? Um, you know, what were the uh, architectural components and what were the decisions and trade-offs that you made? Vers and then there's also ones who are a little bit more like strategy, you know? So for example, Facebook, um, a lot of their data scientist roles, they call them data scientists, but they're really more like product analyst roles. And so they will care very much so about the... Um, about like, how did you connect like the experimentation or the work that you did with the KPIs and the outcomes for your team? Um, and really, I think actually that's the, that's the biggest differentiator is like, what is the, what is their like outcome or what is their KPI in a way that they're tied to? For business strategy folks, it's what, it's what was the impact on like certain core product metrics or certain core like business financial metrics, depending on what team you're serving. For uh, the research folks, it really is about like, you know, what papers did you write up? What blog posts did you contribute to? Uh, what are the things that the company could, you know, sort of put on their blog, put on their website saying like, yay, we're AI driven. Um, and then for the engineering folks, it's literally like, what did you build and like, did it break? And what best practices did you use? So that's where I think where the differentiation is between like those three teams. Sometimes it's a little bit hard uh, to figure out what the team is until you get into the interview, because a lot of the job descriptions, they will literally just copy and paste between companies. Um, so they won't necessarily always say up front, you know, but once you get into the interview, you can, you can just ask them, you can be like, you know, so what is like the primary sort of like impact you want me to have? Um, is it, yeah. yeah. If I could just kind of further on Mikiko's point. So I, I interview, um, a lot just because I'm not necessarily looking for a new job. I just, I just love being in interviews. I think they're interesting. Uh, and plus if I'm dishing out advice to people at data science dream job, I should at least be going through the same shit that they do. Uh, but I, I, I do this thing where I, like I, I literally won't research a company before going into the interview and it, it can be technical and I answer all the questions. Right. But then I can't put the responses within the context of the business. You know what I mean? Like, uh, and then there's situations where I'll thoroughly research the company and I'll get a real good idea of what the product is. I'll even download the product and play around with it and, and, and test it. And it, it, those interviews, I tend to do a lot better because once I know what the product is like, once I get an idea of what their business is all about, I can put, I can deploy my technical knowledge into context, if that makes sense. Right. And, and, and talk to them about maybe the types of problems I think that they potentially could be facing and some possible ways that they could address those um, type of problems. Does that kind of make sense? So thorough research, if you really are interested in the company, do thorough research, download their product, play with their product, um, and then deploy your technical knowledge that you do know, even though you may not have it on paper to talk about how you can help them solve their problems. Is that helpful at all? Awesome. Um, yeah, go for it, Christian. No, I was just going to say, yeah, that sounds about like what I'd expect. Um, I haven't interviewed in the data science world, you know, yet at least. So just uh, interesting to to hear that that feedback. Appreciate it, guys. All right. We'll go to the next question. And like my 
dickhead neighbor has his fucking music blasting and it's like shaking this. So I apologize. And what it, is he playing? I have no clue, but it's just bass. And it's like, what the fuck are you doing, man? Like he's shaking my like things back here. So if it's coming up and, and picking up through the uh, the mic, I apologize. That's pretty the funniest thing I've heard all day. It's awesome. Yeah. Sorry, man. I'm not I'm laughing no, with no. you, not at you. <laughs> yeah, no worries. So. Um, all right, cool. So let's go to Greg's question. And uh, if anybody else has a question, Go ahead, let me know right there in the chat. I'll add you to the queue, uh, but Greg, go for it. So my question is not uh, about, I don't think it's about data science. It's more of a, something that happened that I don't freaking understand why. I don't know if you guys heard that story about NASDAQ that's running out of uh, computer space to store uh, uh, Berkshire Hathaway's um, uh, value stock value so uh what about the other that? day yeah. did, did you guys hear that so berkshire hathaway stock value is uh was approaching four hundred thousand, blah 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 which is the uh total maximum number on the computer that nasdaq is storing uh numbers which is four hundred thousand. uh you know two to the 32nd power right so the last four digits of two to the second power are dedicated to decimals and uh, the rest is the is 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 a is a, is a digit digital digits right. So Berkshire Hathaway stock price was going to cross that to a point where it wouldn't be able to be correct on the Nasdaq board. And I'm like, how the heck do you select such a archaic computer storing, I guess, size to be stuck? in that sense. I think they hurried up to upgrade their computers. And do you guys understand why this happened and, and like what, what was done to solve it? I don't know if you heard that story. I mean, that sounds like NASDAQ had a stack overflow. My guess is it was similar to like, uh, didn't YouTube have, YouTube had a similar problem, right? Where like they, the number that they were showing, like they finally hit like bigger than they expected. So they probably set that number, like you said, to something that just whatever it was in the database or whatever it was in the code. The bit, like, yeah, bit size, yeah. Numeric eight comma two or whatever. And then it's like, we can't do bigger than this. And then you've got, in order to like, it, it's one of those things where people are like, oh, isn't it easy just to change a data type? It's like, not really. Like not if it's in like a hundred different places, we're gonna have to now go through, <laughs> right? It's one of those things. So it's like, yeah, probably was a pain. <laughs> So, yeah. so I have screen. a, oh, go for a real people. example of this. Uh, so actually MailChimp, the company that I'm now working for. So they are a privately held company, which means that they, uh, there are a lot of things that are different about it. One of them is that they don't have to do quarterly planning and they don't have to do major tech uh, technology updates. Um, it's just whenever they need to, because they're privately held. They're like, yeah, we're never going to go public uh, ever. Um, so we'll just update the engineering when we feel like it. And I mean, nothing I'm saying is like company secret, but uh, they still have a massive, like most of the code is like a PHP based. So, <laughs> so, you know, it's a, uh, yeah, you can have some companies and organizations where uh, they, some companies and organizations, especially like startups or, um, you know, public companies, they can sometimes just be a little bit too quick on like fail fast and break things and let's change our entire infrastructure and then get stuck between three or four different vendors. And then you can have the opposite where some companies are like, well, you know, we're privately held. We're not going to make any major changes until we need to. Um, and then, you know, suddenly you start seeing the war room kind of just go off and, <laughs> you know, um, I mean, they still deliver like really great service, but um, you know, I think, I think we've only started going on GCP within the last six years or, or something like maybe eight. Um, you know, like, so it, 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 it does, it does happen in practice. It's, it's odd because I think a lot of companies or startups, right? Like we kind of hear them like just kind of switching 
stuff all the time. So you hear more about like failures or um, being hacked or something like that. But you have the opposite end of the spectrum too. So. Right. I'm just going to like, as I like sign off, just as a comment on that, Facebook is based on PHP too. So it's uh, just so you're, just so we're clear. I mean, it's, it's a, it's a modifi- modified version of PHP, but it's, it's also um, PHP, but with that, I'm going to sign off. Thanks guys for allowing me to join. Or, like, hey man, thanks for, thanks for coming, man. Happy to have you here. Uh, let's, let's hear from, from Joe on, on this uh, topic. I don't have much more to add. I mean, I'm soaked it happened, um, <laughs> but <Yeah. laughs> for other reasons. Um, yeah. But uh, yeah, it, it's it's interesting. I mean, it, it I could I could never imagine that the share price would have reached this high to begin with. But that said, um, you know, someday it'll be a million dollars or more a share. I'm sure it's just yeah. kind of how the world works. Compounding is a weird thing, so hopefully it gets yeah. fixed. <laughs> so. <laughs> I mean, who would have thought, though, you know, back in the day that you'd, you'd have a stock price this high? They'd never split. And I don't think they're ever going to. It's the whole thing, right? So you just got to, I guess the whole point is that you can prepare for these contingencies. But even then, you know, as a, as a general rule, I, I think Russell pointed out a um, life lesson. If any arbitrary limits are set in the system, review them regularly. And this is definitely a big case that, right? So, you know, imagine the stock market. And I remember Buffett once, he was saying like, if, if the stock market continues at the, you know, at the current growth rate, about 7% a year, something like that, you zoom out to the year um, uh, 2100. The stock market, the Dow needs to be at like 3 million. Mm-hmm. So, <laughs> I mean, think about that for a sec. You're at what, 30 something thousand right now? Yeah. So, I mean, that's crazy. Yeah. So, I mean, but I, I don't know what protections people have in their systems sort of for a 3 million level Dow index, right? Like that's unfathomably huge right now. But then back in the twenties, I think what the Dow was in like the, maybe the two digits or maybe low threes. So something to think about. I feel like this is where Carlos would come in to talk yeah. about decentralized currency and, <laughs> and the technology underpinnings for how you would, you know, need to distribute and tabulate and I guess just just don't don't allow for like overflow errors in your <laughs> that'd be a first step. So yeah, yeah it's Carlos, crazy though. If if you're listening, Carlos, I don't know if Carlos listens back on these things, but uh, it's been a while since he's been here, man. So come come here. Otherwise, oh, well, well, Greg and I are meeting with him on Thursday, so I'll tell him personally uh, that his presence is being missed. Uh, if anybody has questions, now is the time to ask. Shout out to uh, shout out to friends we didn't hear from. Tor, my friend. Always good to have you here. Always good to see you. Uh, uh, missed missed hearing some of your commentary. So, sorry, sorry, I'm not talking too much. I've just been bogged down in transactional data and analyzing for the last couple of weeks. I'm working on an audit. I'm going my 14-hour days now, so I got another couple of weeks to go. Really? Uh, today, I was supposed to relocate to Norway, and oh. well, didn't have the right test, so they sent me home. So I have to go back again and fly out again on Sunday. Damn. So. I was actually flying via Amsterdam, and uh, in Holland, they're requiring the PCR test. And in Norway, where I'm going, they just need another type of test. And of course, I didn't have the PCR, so there you go, no flight. And um, so uh, so here I am, uh, still stuck in France, <laughs> when I should be in quarantine in Norway for the next 10 days. <laughs> well, hopefully, hopefully you're enjoying uh, some good wine, and you've also presented reason number 314, why you should not be an accountant. Um, yeah. <laughs> so, uh, what's up to, to everybody else that was uh, hanging out? Last minute questions, if anybody has questions, uh, we got uh, Ade or Eric, good to see you here, Eric, and this person with a cool name that I'm going to butcher, I'm going to try not to butcher it, uh, Tuli Megamino, uh, 
and anybody else if anybody has questions um now's the last time to ask them otherwise i'm gonna stall until it is time to go go for it makiko uh anyone else have i don't say hacks uh joe mentioned that he reads on saturday mornings he reads seven fifty 50 70 articles does anyone else have suggestions for uh, how to be more productive i'm really i'm really struggling with that especially since i'm, I'm trying to get used to waking up three hours earlier because all my team's in atlanta so i'm yeah. really struggling with the productivity part yeah, the learning I call, part i carve out like an hour two hours every morning and that's like the only chance i get to get reading in uh part of that will be like just like i'll, I'll be writing and you know another hour and a half or so reading but you I mean, waking up earlier is the the only way right if, if you don't have if you feel like you don't have enough time then waking up earlier is your only option to get more time or or just uh block off chunks of your calendar at work so people cannot schedule meetings with you. I, I do that a lot too. Uh, and I'll just use that time to read as well. Uh, Greg, go for it. I was going to say, before you do anything, make you go read Atomic Habits. Mm, yeah. Yeah. And then listen to what he says about how much space you have to reorganize yourself. Yeah. It'll, it'll, it'll be helpful. Tiny Habits is another good one as well. Tiny Habits. Yes. Yeah, Tiny Habits. BJ Fogg's thing. Uh, he's quite active on Clubhouse too. Uh, but yeah, Atomic Habits, good power of habit, another good one. Uh, all these books on habit out there. Um, anybody else have any uh, quote unquote hacks or anything they do to to get their learning in, or even even routines? It doesn't have to be a hack, like a routine or ritual. Mm-hmm. Um, I think you just answered it, honestly. Like it just has to become a routine. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Somebody mentioned getting up early. Um, it works. Yeah. The problem is you got to go to bed early too. Otherwise your brain like fries yeah. and you're retarded. Yeah. I have, and you're just I like, have, you uh, working well. <laughs> I have 7 a.m. standups for three days a week now. Gross. So, well, well, yeah, three hours ahead. So they meet oh, 10 a.m. Wow. Atlanta time. So I need to be up mm. 7 a.m. here. You can, like, you can be like Jocko Willink and then take a picture of your watch every morning at like 4.30 or some ungodly hour like that when he's up. I get up yeah. at five usually and read. Yeah. Um, but there's no, I don't know, there's not really a hack or anything. You just got to make the time and just you got to have it. That's all there is. Yeah. It's a secret. I, I was so good at that before yeah. quarantine okay yeah, yeah it's just mm-hmm. yeah it's like exercising right i mean you you, you know you're, you're a crossfitter you know how it is it's like you're gonna make the time for your routine there's no shortcuts um anyone who tells you there's shortcuts is bullshit and they haven't done it so yeah. um yeah. it's time and energy yeah and yeah i time, guess time that you'd use for other things like watching tv or or youtube whatever use it but yeah go for it time if you go i guess the the other half of the question is so okay so so i want to like next level up within the year year and a half to get to senior emily so what are what would be the activities i should be prioritizing i feel like reading case studies is good but to some degree like because i'm in i'm like really junior on the total for once which is really nice um it was so nice but since i'm really junior i don't i'm not necessarily like in the position to make like technology choices right so but at the same time, I want to continue like upscaling, but development's not the same as advancement. So basically, I, I want to figure out what are the three pri- what are the three or four activities I should be prioritizing. Do you want to manage people? To- manage no, people? I want to go. I want to go up the technical contributor. Okay, that, 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 that saves a ton of questions then. Okay. <laughs> so, well, when some people advance, they become they become a manager, and this usually isn't the best thing in the world for them either, because like nope. most people, most people shouldn't manage. Actually, they have no business doing it. Mm-hmm. Um, especially, you know. So that's good. You're if you got that out of the way, I think that clears it up. I think technical progression is just, it just, it's just, you know, if 
to make the weight training equivalent, just sets and reps is really all it comes down to, you know, maybe set some goals for yourself in terms of learning. So I have a spreadsheet where I have like my learning path basically for like the next yeah. three months and just every, every day basically as a progression. And maybe that's where you, how you do it. But really just yeah. like, when it comes down to being senior though, it's kind of like what a senior for your team and like, what are they expecting you to do? Like that's more, most of it. And like, if you can contribute and add your, you know, play your weight and add value. I think that's how you, most of the time you become a senior. Most yeah. I think, I think you're, you're, you're best place right now to start the conversation now, Mikiko. I wouldn't wait because, you know, when it comes to getting promoted, I think you, it depends a lot about your, your manager, right? It depends a lot on that. But you're in control of asking for that path. So yeah. for me, Heisenhower, you know, matrix is super helpful to kind of declutter when needed, prioritize the future transformation of a department to addressing the now needed uh, uh, urgencies. So aligning with your manager on what does a senior MLE uh, uh, portfolio looks like in terms of how do you, how do you act? So and can are the things I'm working on um, do they have senior MLE scope? You want to align with him or her as fast as possible and then create a plan for performing at that level, at your current level right now. So if you have some sort of level guideline uh, available right now for how senior MLEs, what do they work on? What kind of tasks, what kind of scope they do have, make a list of these tasks and then attach the things you're working on next to them to make sure that you're working on the right things. But you have to make sure you have that alignment with your manager as fast as possible to make sure that you get no surprises, you close the gap as fast as possible, and it's a no-brainer when it's time for promotion. So yeah. just, a, just a question to kind of follow up, just to drill down a little bit more. So is the objective to move up the ladder in terms of title or is the objective to move up the skill set in terms of ability? Uh, oh, I mean, not, not, that they, not that they both like are mutually exclu- exclusive, but which one is it that you're trying to optimize for? Um, so right, for, for the short term, it's the skills um, because I'm realizing that especially right coming from the data science and data analytics background, you know um, I don't want to say I'm a shite engineer, but there's a a lot of bad habits and bad practices that I developed or a lot of good practices. I I didn't develop because I didn't know right until recently. So I think in the short term, it's definitely, I want to like, I want to add value. It doesn't have to be a huge value and that value could be just not being like a sink, uh, but I want to like add value. I want to like develop the like first principles skill set, um, but I want to then translate that into advancement up the ladder. I also I think with engineering, well, I, okay, this might be a generalization, but it seems like with engineering, to be honest, it's a little, it's a lot harder to kind of bullshit you, bullshit your way up. Um, it seems like you do need to hit certain kind of like milestones um, or like sort of have certain projects under your belt. Um, luckily I have a meeting with my director next week. So honestly, I'll just bring that up because why not? Right. Um, and like it, they have ladders, they're redeveloping it, um, this year. So it's not super sunstone, but they're working on it. And then my hiring manager, she actually only started this week and at MailChimp, they don't let managers, I don't say don't let them. Managers are encouraged to take the first two months to do a listening period. So right now she's still getting used to the team and all that. Um, but yeah, cause I think something I'm realizing is that there's a lot of like data hustle and data grind out there. And what I want to do is try to distill down sort of my activities to what is actually relevant and important. Um, but I think, yeah, like I'll have that conversation with my director. Cause I think he'll have a, yeah, yeah. like he'll, he'll have some expectations. So, yeah. I mean, well, you know, yeah, I came from like an academic background. I was like, 
proper statistician, like a clinical trial statistician, and then moving into like a technology company, I had to up my software engineering skills. I'd like not that I have any software engineering skills, but I can write good reproducible code that is production ready. But the way I got from zero to that was I just like put myself onto projects because I had the I had the luxury of, you know, choosing which project I wanted to work on and would put myself on projects that I knew were difficult for me and then would pair program as much as possible with like the nicest engineer who was like most willing, who, you know, they're all pretty nice. Right. So uh, for the most part and, and just pair program with them and work through problems that way. And then just ask them like, Oh, why did you do that? Like, you know, I would have thought about doing it this way, but you're doing it that way. So help me, help me make the, the leap from, you know, my reasoning to your reasoning and try to do it that way. If that makes sense. Uh, Tor, I see you have your hand up, go for it. Sorry. I was just going to say, Mikiko, that technically, uh, like everybody in this group, more or less, you're all at the 80% already. It's just the last 20% you need to fill up because you're asking the right questions. You're curious. You're uh, looking into, you're listening to advice. These are all the things that technically is what's going to get you there. For you, I don't think it's a question of not getting there. It's just a question that you will get there. But I think what's most important is to be a little bit patient and humble um, because you may come across as too aggressive and that scares people. So when you start getting that kind of um this is part of my own experience is that I have a tendency of scaring people because I get very active involved and I want to do things and fix things. And I'm not necessarily always listening to the, the um, atmosphere I'm in at the moment. And that can scare off a lot of people, but clearly 80% you're already there. It's just a question now of organizing it. And with the advice you're getting here, there's no doubt in my mind you'll get there. And and when you listen to the Joe and Craig and everybody here, uh, they've all been there. They're doing it. They've done it. That's also why they're smiling when they <laughs> hear the questions as well. So, <laughs> so good luck with it. Just take your time and you'll get there. Don't worry. Excellent words of encouragement, Tor. Yep. And if you, if you have, I mean, it's just a book recommendation, but if you have Audible and you have like the premium membership, whatever, there's a book on there called The Practicing Mind. And I've been listening to that this week. And one thing that that book really espouses is, and you hear this advice on a lot of different types of philosophy, but um, like disconnecting yourself from the result or the outcome, like it's cool to have a goal, but don't let the goal be the end, be all, end all. Uh, let it be kind of more of a directional kind of place and then use practice and the process as a rudder to steer your way to that goal. So focus more on the practice and practicing and let go of the goal. Um, A lot of good advice here on books. I saw a book here from uh, Greg called How to Read a Book. That's an interesting one. Um, I'm ordering all of them on Amazon right now, even as yeah. we speak. Yeah, another book recommendation, Jim Quick's book. That book is amazing. I've uh, I've enrolled in pretty much all of Jim Quick's online courses. They're really good. Um, Jim Quick, if you're listening, <laughs> if you're listening, please come on the podcast. I'd love to have you. He's not listening. He'll never come on the podcast. Um, guys, no other questions uh, here. I don't see any other questions, but thank you guys so much for taking time out of schedule to be here today. Appreciate seeing you guys all here. It was uh missed you guys last week, and I'm glad you guys are here today, though. Um, be sure to tune into the episode that released today with Dave Gray, author of several best-selling books, including Liminal Thinking. Next week, I got an episode. It's 
next week is the first Friday of the month. So it's like one of my quote unquote conversations episode. And I'm doing that one with one of my good friends, Arjun. Arjun is also the host of the Rising Lattery Laterally podcast. I think I was on that podcast. Yes, I was. Um, so definitely take a look at that. Um, other book recommendation, Thinking Fast and Slow. That's a good one. Daniel Kahneman actually, um, he released a new book just recently too. I think it was called, I can't remember the name of it, but I got it on Audible. Um, I'm looking forward to, to digging into It's called a Noise. Noise. Have you read it yet? Yeah, I haven't read it yet. It's on the, on the, on the list. So yeah, see how it is. It didn't get that good of reviews for some reason. Really? So ah. yeah, but I mean, maybe that means it's actually good. Yeah. So yeah. I love it. I don't even pay attention to reviews. Like, you know, like just, just read it if, if you like the author. Right? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Just, uh, I just finished this book. I, I love going back to, to the things that we've been doing for so long and we don't know why we're here. This is book called Applied Economics. Mm-hmm. And I've listened to it. And I'm like, oh, that's why we like to purchase these things so much. Yeah. That's why these houses are annoying to purchase mm-hmm. things like that. Oh, that's why this was happening. And, and it's, it's so good. So, uh, it's a good uh, good one to get to at economics. Yeah, I've got a I've I've got a plan to to uh, touch on the fundamentals again this summer. Kind of something I like to do over the summer is is go back to like fundamentals and basics. And uh, I've got a f- few different microeconomic books that I plan on touching on. Uh, one of them is uh, macro microeconomics, not macro microeconomics for dummies. And I got the cartoon guide to microeconomics. And then I'm doing uh, the Rational Optimist by Matt Ridley. Uh, read it once before, but I feel like doing the economics thing again, get back and it will be good. Sorry, Mikiko, you were saying something? Greg, author of Practicing Mind, who is it? Tom, uh, Thomas Sterner? Okay. That's the one, cool. yeah, yeah. Thomas yeah. Sterner. Yeah, and it's free right now on Audible if you have premium. Um, I've been listening to it and I feel like it's just like the the, the book that I need to be listening to right now just because uh, I feel a bit, it, it happens every now and then, you feel a bit scattered and a bit unfocused in your mind. Um, so I'm looking forward to uh to to make my way through that it uh, doesn't look like there's any other questions right there in the chat um joe's got another amazing book here compounding passionate lifelong learning all right uh so yeah there's going to be a few books delivered to me this week so that's gonna be awesome um can i, can I make a quick confession for you harpreet yeah please do so here's one thing this is my time for you to thank you uh here's one reason uh your show, me being uh, English is my third language, and uh, a lot of times I don't have the confidence to express myself. Uh, it's good here, it feels good here, it's confident here, but I'm also questioning how it comes out, and sometimes I don't get, uh, I'm not understood. So, uh, your show helps me gain that confidence that I need. Uh, so, wherever I go, when I talk, I know what I say can be wrong, but also I'm not afraid to get corrected but from anyone and uh this also is practice for me on a weekly basis for any other thing that i get invited in so thank you for having me and i appreciate that oh man it's always my pleasure to have you my brother thank you thank you for being here speaking of things that greg gets invited to do not forget to register for the uh data community content creators award greg is going to be speaking there ben taylor is going to be speaking there sarah is going to be speaking there. So is somebody uh, who's got some fire content that hasn't been on my podcast or in these office hours yet, but she does need to, uh, Daliana Lou and uh, there's uh, Gilbert. Gilbert's going to be speaking there. So definitely go and check that out. Um, Joe, sorry, you had uh, see that you are. No, <laughs> right on guys. Well, um, a lot of good book recommendations. There's a lot of great links here in the, uh, in the, in the chat. I'll be sure to link all that stuff right there into the 
uh, show notes so that everybody can can go through and read all that stuff. Uh, take care, everybody. Have a good rest of the evening, afternoon, and weekend. Uh, long weekend for some of you guys. Remember, you've got one life on this planet. Why not try to do something big, everybody? Cheers.